The Old Testament reading is from 1 Kings uh, 19. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hatzael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hatzael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading, uh, Philippians 1, 18b-26. This will be the sermon text too for this morning. Yes, and I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, 
I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, Philippians 1, uh, the epistle reading. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Uh, last week, just to kind of reset us a little bit, last week, uh, Paul is explaining to the church at Philippi that although he's in prison and he suffered a lot of things in prison and he's also suffered a lot of mistreatment from fellow Christians, that he is rejoicing. This is the word he uses, rejoicing. And he's completely confident that what is happening to him is good news because it's happening for the advancement of the gospel. Make a comment about that real quick. There's three reasons, just in my experience, I'm sure that there's, there's others. There's three reasons why people abandon, people who are Christians abandon Christianity. There's three big reasons. One is like a sin that they're harboring in their life that is no longer, their, their Christianity can no longer be compatible with the lifestyle that they've chosen. The second one is suffering. Uh, bad things happen and they just can't believe and again, a lot of times this is the Christian church's fault because we tell, we tell people, hey, if you believe in Jesus, uh, you're going to be happy, happy, happy all day long. And uh, Jesus is going to fill your heart with joy and you're going to have the best life you can have. And then people come to faith and the, there's a lot of bad things that happen and so they turn away. The third, th- third, third reason why people abandon the faith in my experience is they get mistreated by other Christians some sort of like scenario where uh, um, uh, somebody treats them poorly and they, they just don't want any part of it anymore. And Paul is saying that he doesn't address the first one, uh, the, the harboring of some sort of sin that, that you just can't make compatible with your Christianity anymore. Although in, in Romans he says, when it comes to sin, let the unbelief of others not confuse us that God's promises are without effect. Let, let God be true in every person alive. But here he talks about the, the last two things. He talks about suffering. But for Paul, suffering is not a cause of abandoning the faith. In fact, suffering is the sign that plan A is happening, that the gospel is being advanced. Because if Jesus suffered, we've been bound with him. We're going to suffer too. And that suffering is a good thing because it will ultimately display the glory of God. It will ultimately be the crucified Christ being made evident in our lives. And the third thing, Christians who mistreat you, again, Paul's, he's not gonna, he is not gonna let that throw him off his game. I don't care how people mistreat, if they're preaching the gospel, they don't have to like me. They don't have to be nice people. If the gospel is being preached, I'm happy. Now he's not making an excuse for being, for, for mistreating people, and he's not saying it's okay if other Christians are, are rude to other Christians. He's not saying that, but he's saying it's not gonna throw me off my game. It is not a sign to me that somehow, I can't, I can't have any part, part of this Christianity stuff. There's too many mean people there. He's not going to let that happen. Suffering for Paul is a sign that God is in charge, and because God is in charge, it's a cue to rejoice. Okay, that brings us to the reading for this week, where he affirms, yes, and I will rejoice, into verse 18. And then he goes on to say, I know 
that was verse, uh, let me read verse 19 to us. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now that word deliverance there in the NIV, um, it's a little bit confusing. You could read that and think it means I'm going to be delivered from prison. He actually doesn't use a word for deliverance there. There's, there's a, a Greek word for being released from prison or being delivered from prison. He actually uses the word, you know the word that he uses right there, actually in Greek? Don't ask me why it's translated deliverance here. He uses the word for salvation. He just uses the, the same word that we use normally in the Bible for salvation. I'm confident through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. Now, what does he mean by salvation? Uh, the good news is, is the very next verse explains what he means. This is going to turn out for my salvation, he says, Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I have three things here, that I will not be at all ashamed. I'm convinced that my suffering will be vindicated by Jesus Christ. I, it will not turn out that I'm wrong and that I'm sitting here in prison rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel and I'm just an idiot because I'm not seeing reality. This is just, I'm just a guy in prison. I'm going to die in prison and it means nothing. No, no, no. I'm fully confident. I'm fully confident that I will not be ashamed. That what I'm going through now will result in my vindication. That my suffering will lead others to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God will advance. I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, but that, but, but, but the word courage there, he means boldness. He doesn't just mean like, I'm brave. I can go through prison. I'm brave to do this. No, it's going to be hard. I can do this. He means I'm bold. I have the boldness to sit here chained up to this Roman soldier and tell you that my Lord is Lord of the universe. This guy's Lord, Caesar, is not the Lord of the universe even though he's the one pulling me around. It's kind of a weird sort of upside-down boldness. But I am bold to believe that Jesus is the king of the universe. See, these two things right here, right, this confidence and this boldness are just another fancy way of saying faith. I'm in prison for the gospel, but I have faith that Jesus is Lord of the universe. Right? That, that, that this faith is going to result in my salvation. And also, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what salvation is for Paul. Salvation is Christ is going to be honored by me, by my body, whether I'm living. That makes sense. He could preach the gospel. He can start relationships with unbelievers, with other believers, where the kingdom, that the kingdom news can be spread and propagated. But also that Christ would be honored in, honored in my body, even in death. He's confident in that as well. Uh, this is, this is a, a really good faith to know that whatever, wherever you're at, Alive, dead, Christ is going to get glory for that. In fact, your death will probably result in more glory. Well, let me say it this way. Your funeral just might be the greatest announcement of the gospel that you ever perform. Like you can say with your mouth to people, Jesus is Lord, and you can live in your life, in your life amongst those around you. You can live in such a way that it is clear to them that your Lord is the Lord of the universe. There's something really special about people being in this room and your body, your dead body being in the casket and somebody saying, announcing to everybody that this body, against all appearances, this body will get up out of this casket and walk away someday. Glorified by Jesus Christ at his return. There's something super powerful about that, that confession of faith. That we as Christians, we don't say goodbye to our dead. 
we just say, so long for a while. We'll see this body again. Paul knows this, and so he's confident that in prison, you know, I mean, Paul's facing the possibility that he's going to get executed. And in fact, this is what he's going to, this is what he's trying to encourage them about that they're worried that he might not make it out alive. Paul knows he might not make it out alive. Human life is cheap in the Roman Empire. It's quite possible that he's going to get off. We know that eventually he did. We don't know if it's this imprisonment, this time in Rome, or if it's a later imprisonment where the government finally says, just execute the guy. He's caused us enough problems. But he, at some point, he's not going to make it out of prison alive. He knows that this is the case. And he wants to assure the Christians at Philippi, in me and you today, that it's okay. That it's okay. Because by his life or by his death, Christ is going to get glory. Okay, now, so that, that's sort of the groundwork. Now Paul's going to say, he's going to talk to them, so psychologically, what does this mean? This sort of coming to grips with the fact that either by his life or by his death, he's going to bring Christ's glory. This is what he's going to do in verses 21 through 24. And he's going to say, actually, you know what, guys, come to think of it, I'm not really sure which one I want more. Do I want to be alive more, or would I prefer to die? i got to kind of weigh those in my head, is what he says. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ. If I live, the whole point is Christ. If I die, it's actually a profit for me, because I'm going to get to be with Christ. If I'm, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I get to do work that actually accomplishes things and brings me satisfaction. Yet, which I shall choose, I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Like I'm having a hard time making up my mind which one I would rather have. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. I, 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 my desire is actually to die and be with Jesus. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's actually better for you if I'm here doing this fruitful labor amongst you. All right, can we do a quick, uh, hopefully quick, theological sidebar? Uh, this is one... This is only one of two times where Paul talks about going to heaven when you die. And he actually doesn't even use the words going to heaven when you die. But by the way, the phrase going to heaven when you die, it's not in the Bible anywhere. There is three places where uh, Jesus or Paul or Peter or John talk about what theologians call the intermediate state. I'll explain what that means in just a second. Uh, Paul mentions this here, really vague. He just says... It's better to be with Christ. To depart and be with Christ is better. 2 Corinthians 5. And then the line that Jesus says to the thief on the cross as he's dying is the third one, where he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's got its own set of questions, too. What does paradise mean? It doesn't mean heaven in Jewish thought, actually. Um, We're not going to talk about that now, though, because that's not what the sermon's about. This is the intermediate state. Let me uh, me, uh, say this to you. So there's, uh, you guys were created with souls and with bodies together. That's the way God designed you. It's not, this is not bad. Your body's not bad. Uh, Plato was wrong. The dispensationalists are wrong. Physical matter is good. You were also designed with an inside, with a soul, an immaterial part, thoughts and emotions and, and uh, a will, a desire. God has put those both together. Adam and Eve, body and soul. When you were born, body and soul. When you die, according to the Bible, and again, we don't have a ton of evidence here because there's just two or three passages about this, your body is going to be buried in the ground or it's going to be cremated or whatever happens to your body when you die. And your soul is going to go up to be with Jesus, is what Paul says here. It's better to depart and be with Christ. 
This, however, is unnatural. It is not the way that God designed you to be. When God designed Adam and Eve, he designed them as body, soul, nexi. Bodies and souls together. Sin, unfortunately, has created this potential separation between your soul and your body. But God is going to repair that too. Now, the text does not talk about this. When Paul gets to Philippians 3, then he's going to talk about resurrection. However, there is a little hint of the final day when Jesus returns and brings our souls with him, raises our bodies from the dead, and reunites them forever and ever. That's why I said a second ago, we don't say goodbye to our dead. This is why we have coffins where we look at our dead before we bury them. It's a way to say, I'm going to see that same body again. At some point, Jesus is going to return and bring the soul of this brother or sister in Christ with him and raise this body from the dead, make it perfect, and it will live in the new creation forever and ever. Going to heaven, what Paul's talking about here, is this intermediate state. It's temporary. It's good. Paul says it's better than this, but it's not the best. When we get to Philippians 3, he'll talk about the best. The resurrection state where God raises our bodies from the dead and glorifies them. However, there's a little hint here in this text, and it's in the word expectation in verse 20. Paul's talking about his own salvation, and he he describes it as an eager expectation. An expectation is something that's in the future that you long for, right? It's this, it's going to happen, I want it to happen. In fact here, expectation is less to do with the feeling of hoping and wanting something to happen and more to do with the actual thing that's going to happen in the future itself. This word expectation here is only used in the New Testament two times. Paul uses it once here. He also uses it in Romans chapter 8, in verse, let me give you the reference, verse 19, where he says, creation, the whole creation itself, is waiting with eager expectation for the day when Jesus returns and liberates that creation for the glory of God. We too want our bodies to be liberated. Paul longs for that more than anything. But right now, here in prison, I know that if I die, my soul would be with Jesus. And that's good. That's what I want. Paul would love to be with Christ. But he also knows that he has this job. And the job is to spread the gospel. The job is the care of these churches that he's become friends with for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's odd for us, it's odd for me at least, and I know that if, I, if it, we're going to go downstairs in Bible study, we're going to have this conversation uh, in a few minutes maybe. Those of you who are Christians who are older will say, no, I actually long to go and be with Jesus. I'm still at the age where the thought of death contains more distaste to me than the faith that Paul has here. I, I, couldn't, I actually couldn't stand up here in front of you and say, I really desire to depart and be with Christ. I'm not at that point yet. I have been at that that point in various times in my life. But today, I feel like things are going pretty well. I don't have the faith that Paul has that being with Jesus is better. How can you have that faith that I would rather be with Jesus than not be with Jesus? And at the same time, I'm committed to Jesus' will for me here. Well, it has to do with love. I spent the past week, some of you spent the past week too, uh, um, uh, at a Lutheran summer camp. And so I was there, and my main job there was uh, to do a Bible study with all the campers. Uh, it was, you know, about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes every morning, two different groups of campers. 
And uh, if you know me, you know that I just love doing stuff like this. We talked about the story of the Bible is what we did. Uh, you know, creation, fall, uh, rest, redemption, and restoration. And uh, that that's just a blast to me. And um, I would almost rather do that than anything. But And so I had a good time. I had a really good time. But the whole time I was there, I, I really wanted to get back and be with Angela. Angela wasn't with me. Reeve came with me. Uh, but Angela wasn't with me. And so the whole time I was there, you know, I was texting Angela. I'd call her, wishing I could get back home, you know, and be with her. That's kind of the place where Paul's at on a much bigger scale, of course. This, you have a job to do, and the job is gospel-centered, but I, I still want to be with the one I love. And Paul doesn't feel that way about a wife. He's not married. Paul feels that way about Jesus. I have a job to do, but I still am spending my days texting Jesus, spending my days calling him on the phone, trying to get any little piece of him from the, you know, the, from the distance between us, any little piece of him that I can get, longing for the day when I pack up my stuff and I go home and I finally get to be with him face to face. Why don't I feel like that about Jesus? It's because Paul's love for Jesus is way greater than mine. My love for Jesus is kind of at the place where if I went to camp this week, I'd be like, yeah, I'm having a good time. I could probably stay a few more weeks. I don't really want to go home yet. What about Angela? Well, I know, yeah, I'll text her or something, but I'm having a good time here. I'm not at, I'm not at the place where Paul's at. And I need to be. I need to fall more in love with Jesus. The desire to be with Christ directly correlates to the love that we should have for Christ, right? And for Paul, these, these are two alternatives. Being with Jesus spiritually in heaven after death, working for Jesus now with his church, these are both good. They both bring him joy. He's going to say at the end of this letter, in whatever state I am, I'm going to be content because they're both really solid options. Another way to say it is this. Like, everything about my existence has meaning and purpose. If I live, I have something to get up in the morning for. I have the kingdom of God to participate in. If I die, that also has meaning. I get to be with the one I love. And I also know that my death is going to bring glory to God. Both of my options are good. Don't be sorry for me, Philippians. I am in a really good place, whether I live or whether I die. Would we like to experience this salvation, this knowledge that all of our life has meaning, that all of our life has purpose for the glory of Christ? Well, Paul basically says there's three ways to get to this salvation. And they're back in verse 19. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. Working backwards through that verse to the beginning. Three things work out for salvation. First of all, Jesus Christ. We say Jesus Christ, you know, you guys know this, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title, it means the Lord, the Messiah, the King. The confession that Jesus is the King, the knowledge that Jesus is the King is the first step to salvation. This belief that Jesus is Lord over everything. Not just our path to glory someday, but over our bad circumstances, over our good circumstances, over everything that's going on in the world, Jesus is the king. Knowing and believing and buying into that causes salvation. It's the source of our salvation. Back before that, the supply of Jesus' spirit. The word help there is actually the word supply. The help of Jesus' spirit. The help of the spirit of Jesus the king. Knowing that Jesus is king, believing in the gospel, is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can provide for us. Embracing the life of the Spirit, 
bathing in the Spirit, being where the Spirit works, being in the Word of God, on your own at home, coming to church, receiving the sacrament, mindfully, faithfully, repentantly. These are all ways to experience the life of the Spirit, which results in our salvation. And then the first thing is, I know that through your prayers, this will all turn out for my deliverance. We, a lot of times we think about prayer as something that's good for us, right? It sort of orients and organizes our mind to reflect on God and calms us down, makes us more Jesus-minded. Actually, Paul says here, your prayers do something. Your prayers for me result in my salvation. My prayers for you will result in your salvation. These three things, the confession that Jesus is king, the supply of the Holy Spirit, and our prayers for each other will result in our salvation. If it's true that our prayers for each other will result in our salvation, let's stop right now and let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would, by the supply of the Holy Spirit and the confession that your son Jesus is the king and the actuality of him ruling and reigning, I pray that you would use these things to save us, Father, that you would glorify us and yourself, that you would bring others to you through our lives, that you would bring sanctification to each other, to, to, to us through our lives, that we would be able to fully experience the joy that Paul is talking about, where in whatever circumstance, even by our life and even by our death, we know and believe that you are going to glorify yourself and vindicate us to that glory. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.